Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, how is your day going today? Well, I'll be honest, you know, it's that time of year when stuff's going around and let's just say I'm a little under the weather and not at my best. So I'm going to be relying on you and our guests to to carry the podcast today. I'll just linger in the background a little bit. Well, I'm impressed and I have to say what a trooper because I know even yesterday you were struggling a bit, so I appreciate you showing up. And it's a special reason that you're showing up well, today. Well, there but... is a special reason. Yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But returning to the show is Joanna Kimyech, Vice President of People and Culture at Elastic Path. Welcome back to the show, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me again. This is wonderful. So Joanna, you might not know this, but today marks our 100th episode of the podcast. And it's no mistake that we're recording with you for this episode, because of all the guests we've had here on the show, we've never had as many requests for someone to come back and do the podcast again, because they want to hear more. So really, really happy that you agreed to come back and talk to us. Oh my gosh, though, no pressure now, right? You throw in a number like 100th episode and here I am thinking we're just going to have a general chat like we usually do. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm honestly honored to be able to do this and share this time with you guys. And to be honest, really happy that a number of people found value in the way that we approached our last episode with being you know, really candid, really honest and, and transparent about the state of the world and business at that time. So very, very excited to be back here. Well, Joanna, you've become, you know, a colleague, a friend, certainly a friend of Al and I now, and we've collaborated on some projects where I've reached out to you for some help. And you were really the first people person we had on the show. I mean, our original avatar for the Success Leaves Clue series was the CEO, the founder, you know, the business owner. And we were saying, well, we know all these great people people in the HR space. And I was struggling for a long time around, well, what can we call this series? And, you know, going back and forth and and my wife said, okay, success leaves clues. So why do you do that for the avatar of the business owner? So, well, you know, they've struggled and they've, and they've tried things and faced challenges and they've overcome. And she said, well, would someone like Joanna have that same clues that she could leave for other people? I'm like, yeah, there's your answer, right? So you were the very first one. And then the feedback, if I thought there was community around the founder, the CEO, that community, not even close to the people community, right? And we saw that when you came back and you shared, people globally were reaching out to you to just chat and say, hey, let's let's connect and what's so really, really grateful that we've met you and now you're, you know, you're in our network because it's it's led to a lot of other great conversations. We were talking about some people in our space that we're gonna be talking to in the future. So I'm really, really excited. But today we want to talk about, because I always love hearing your answers, and I know you're really cutting edge with what's going on in the world today, which is quite challenging because it's changing rapidly. 
Today, we want to talk about the employee experience and how getting this right can literally make or break your business. We all know that the market, especially in tech, has become fairly unstable in recent months, which can make elevating the employee experience a lot tougher. How has this impacted your organization and what approaches have you been taking in light of this with your team? Yeah, most definitely. This has been a topic that has come up in many sessions, many leader panels. The uncertainty in the market is obviously causing companies to sort of pause, rethink. Some are taking that wait and see approach. I have to say we've been lucky enough to be in a pretty stable spot due to really careful planning and spending or not overspending over the last couple of years. This has allowed us to maintain our initiatives, especially our people initiatives, and continue to elevate our programs versus pulling back. So in essence, really smart planning has allowed us to actually accelerate our business during these times. Now, in terms of how this has worked for our HR or our PNC team and the value in it, when explaining this to the team and the approach, I actually refer to one of my favorite movies called The Art of Racing in the Rain. Now, yes, some of you will call this a chick flick, but it is actually about car racing. And you might ask what a car racing movie has to do with HR or business. In essence, the movie is about a car race driver whose instinct is to accelerate through turns when it's raining because the instinct of the other drivers is to slow down. So this gives him the advantage. So while many organizations are taking their foot off the gas and taking a very careful wait and see approach, we're actually continuing to elevate and invest in our product and our employee experience to make some noise while many are quiet. So it's hard to be heard when you're not one of the big guys and when everybody's loud. So this has become an opportunity for us. And with that, we've been promoting our great culture. We've been promoting our growth. And this has been helping us build a really strong talent pool and pipeline. We're also being very deliberate about our budgets and our direction. So we talked about the market and you mentioned the market being unstable and people being cautious. My advice to other leaders would be try to stay cost neutral where you can. But don't forget about your employee experience, because in many companies, that's the first thing that gets put on pause when people are being conscious. And many will say, well, how can you improve the employee experience and stay cost neutral? Right. So a couple of quick things. Ensure you're getting the most out of every tool and program that you have, because I bet many have HR or people programs, tools, platforms that are not fully being utilized for a variety of reasons. An example for what us was our Canadian EAP. So like many traditional EAPs, we had an abysmal usage rate. Like we're talking three, 4%. And you can try and promote, but the usage rate was low. So we went to the market. We met with a few progressive providers that had a different approach to how they support employees and would give our people better access to various types of healthcare, make some of it more affordable, and give them the flexibility they need to address their own personal needs. And, you know, what happened? Cost ended up staying the same as what we were paying annually for a tool that no one used. So we made the change. And now we're looking to track to see if the usage rates improve. But we already received positive feedback about the options people have. So in summary, we're doing the same with our other programs and our systems. Are we using them right? Are we using our tools? Take what we already have and offer the flexibility that people are looking for where you can. So basically, it's not always about a bigger budget, because let's be honest, how many times is PNC getting a bigger budget? 
but the ability to adapt what you have in a way that will actually make an impact on your people. And that doesn't always require money. It just requires listening. You're talking my language because one of the things, especially when I'm meeting with a new prospect, someone that is, is not a client yet, and I love the idea around being cost neutral because you don't necessarily have to go out and spend more money to invest in the employee experience. And I probably said it way too many times on this podcast, but I talk about the cadence of communication. And when I look at a plan and I'll do an audit, I'll say, you know, when's the last time you've communicated this piece or this piece or this piece? Or have you looked at this free platform that exists out there? that would be a win for the employees. And again, that opportunity to go back and communicate to those employees. So you're right. You don't have to go out and spend a lot more money. A lot of times you could stay exactly where you are. Maybe as you pointed out, you look for another provider and it's going to remain cost neutral anyway, but there's so much opportunity to go back. I'm happy to say people are more willing than ever to get into those conversations. It used to be, hey, can you get me a better rate and that sort of thing. And the conversation has definitely changed now. I find business leaders are a lot more open to having that conversation and taking value out of, oh, well, that's, yeah, I can communicate that. And I think my employees are going to feel better about the experience when they know that. So I think that's great that you guys have done that. It's definitely been helpful for us. I mean, it's about looking at the tools. You're right about the openness because now people want things that work. So it's not just about cost, but take a look at even your tech stack. We use an HRIS system. Are we using it fully? No. So why are we looking to spend more when we can actually just amplify some of what we have and then work with partners such as yourself and others who can actually show that there are other options out there that don't necessarily mean breaking the bank. You know what I mean? Exactly. Joanna, I'll hop in and I wanted to talk maybe a little bit about the argument right now around remote versus hybrid versus on-site. Obviously, with COVID, a lot of companies moved to completely off-site and remote work. And then as COVID started to subside a little bit, there was a little bit of a shift back to a hybrid model. And in some cases, we've got some companies that are saying, okay, we want people back in the office right now. And Obviously, there's a lot of disruption around there. Can you talk a little bit about the approach you've taken at Elastic Path and what challenges you may have encountered with the approach? It's the million-dollar question, I call it. It literally comes up in every single conversation. And interestingly enough, you can find statistics and literature to support the argument either way, if you want to look hard enough. And I think that's just because there are positives and challenges, regardless of the route an organization chooses. So one thing that's certain, though, is that As we know, the workforce has shifted, especially in tech. I know there are some industries where it's a little harder to be fully remote, but in tech specifically, it's becoming harder and harder to find candidates who want to be 100% on site. That's just from what we've seen. It's become very focused on flexibility, trust, productivity, but also that culture. And the key argument stems usually from okay, well, we can give flexibility and we can say we're giving trust and people seem to be being productive, but our culture is suffering. And then that's where that balance usually comes into play. So although we're remote first at Elastic Path, we continue that statement by saying, but not remote only. And so what does that mean? We are creating an environment where everyone can succeed remotely when that means tools, systems, trust through delegation, autonomy, and empowerment has been critical for us. And we're still working to improve it every day. So making sure people have what they need to work remotely, to work asynchronously, but then making sure that they have the autonomy to make decisions so that remote can work. Now, to help facilitate that, we've created a ways of working team and developed a communication charter. 
So this charter speaks to asynchronous communication, ways of working, addresses how many people are feeling burnt out having to constantly be on Zoom, you know, Zoom fatigue, endless Slack messages coming in at all hours, especially when you're global, you have time zones at play. And the charter aims to give guidelines around how you can use these tools in better ways and create balance. So for example, when you're booking meetings and calls, book them for 50 minutes, not 60, to give you a little bit of that buffer between calls. And let's say don't expect an answer on Slack immediately. Create a 24-hour rule where if there's an emergency, you will text that person. In HR, we've created a team cadence for urgent needs. So we know what the expectation is whether it's email, whether it's Slack. But if there is an emergency, it's an immediate text and the person knows that there is something that needs to be addressed. And we also leave a status message when we're away from the computer in case someone's taking their kids to school or has gone out for a walk over lunch, those types of things, because it creates a bit of that balance, awareness and understanding. So if someone is looking for you, they know approximately when you might be back. But again, even that, just because we're remote first, it doesn't mean we can be remote only and be successful, it seems like. And I'll explain why. This has to also mean providing options for collaboration, team building, and the building of relationships and camaraderie, because that is critical still. So we also have access to, in certain countries, we work locations, we have a few of our own office locations, and these are all across our global hubs in Vancouver, Toronto, Boston, and in the UK. So we've then distributed budgets so various locations can plan for time spent together in person, in real life, you know, the big new trending acronym, and for time socializing and getting to know each other as humans, not just coworkers. And when approaching events, to create some equity for those who aren't within commuting distance, we have both virtual and on-site events for people to get together and spend valuable time together in the same room. Equity is that big piece. You've probably heard a lot of talk in the market about are people who are on site getting more attention, access, promotions than those who are not coming into the office? This speaks to give a little bit more of that equity where we're holding some events virtually, everyone's virtual, we're holding some events on site, and we're creating budgets to allow people to spend time with their teams where they know what their budgets are and don't have to ask for approval. They can get everybody together and spend that time in the best way that they see fit. This approach has had a really positive effect on our ability to recruit great talent. It's usually one of the first questions that are asked if it's not in your posting. Are you remote? Are you on site? Are you hybrid? What does hybrid need? How many days are expected? These questions are coming up right in line with what the salary. They are nose to nose in terms of what people want. So because we're offering the choice and we're supporting their choice, it's allowed us to actually be a lot more competitive. Joanna, it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right. The one thing that maybe you haven't touched on yet, and I'm curious because I work Monday to Friday. I refuse to open my computer on a Saturday. I spend that time with my wife, you know, and I promise her I'm not going to open it because I was one of those people who would open a laptop on vacation and get that look, right? Like you got to, you got to stop. So Saturdays, I don't do anything, but Sundays, I like to prepare for my week. So generally Sunday morning, I'll do some work. I'll look what tasks are because I like to hit Monday, you know, the ground running. And I was preparing emails to send and I actually sent them about a month ago and I was sending out emails on Monday. And then we had a discussion with the partners about that. 
And I didn't even think about it. I thought, well, I'm going to send an email. Someone won't open that till Monday. But of course, the world's changed. And as you said, there's a hybrid uh, among most companies and people are opening emails on the weekend. What's your take on that? And I, I'll tell you what, how I've solved it. I mean, we work with a CRM that's integrated with our emails. So I will draft all the emails ready to go for Monday. And then I have just I have a task that's recurring every Monday that says just send draft emails. And that way they go out first thing in the, in the morning on Monday. But it allows me to set up my week the way I want without interrupting other people and feeling, oh, now I've got something to worry about on Monday. So just curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, this has been a really big topic. And it's actually, it's funny you've mentioned that because this approach or challenge, if you will, has been one of the number one complaints we get from people in terms of, well, we're supposed to be flexible and we're supposed to be able to look at our things at given times and during our hours or our flex hours. But if I don't stay on it, when I look at my phone the next time, there's you know 40 Slack messages that have come in and people are working on weekends. And now that I've seen it, my mind is already going. So it's the simple psychology of seeing it in your inbox or even knowing that that count on your, you know, 14 and, and what's going on. What we've actually tried to do, and to be fully transparent, this is taking a little work and time for different teams because some teams are working and they just want to get these things out so that they feel that they've gotten ahead and can start their Monday clear. But what we've been trying to do, both from a weekend perspective and also from a weeknight perspective, so, you know, we have teams in Vancouver. Half of my team is in Vancouver. So I may log off for the evening and at nine o'clock local nighttime for me, I start seeing that counter go up. And so again, naturally, I'm kind of going, well, should I, should I, should I, you know, should I look at this? I personally have had to try to work really hard to sort of make that decision of if it's urgent, they'll text, maybe leave it for the morning. But what we've done is create a cadence. So if you're using Slack, lots of people are on Slack. You can actually set the time when that message is going to be sent. Similar to some of the approaches that you're talking about with emails and things. You can do that with email. You can do that with Slack. And if the person isn't expected to answer it in that moment, send it for the next day. And this is a learning because I'm very used to, I have 700 things to do. Let me just get all these things out. And then when they're ready, they can respond. But I know that I've now done it. But where I was forgetting was that once they see it, they automatically feel like they have to respond. And if they don't, there's that anxiety that builds. So what I've started to try and do is either verbally tell them, if you see it, like, don't stress, we will talk about it tomorrow. But I'm trying to now set time. So in Slack, it'll tell me, you know, so-and-so, it's now 6am for them. Because we have people behind us in time zone, ahead of us in time zone. I'll set a different time. I'll let it go in at, let's say, 10am. Because that'll give them a minute to wake up. They don't wake up to 17 messages from different people that have all been set for 8 or 9 a.m. And it does help a little bit with that weekend time. But this has to start with the leaders. Because the leaders at times forget that you're a leader. People will respond to you a little differently whether you like it or not. So if a colleague sends it, unless you know something important is coming, you may not get as much anxiety as if you're CEO or if you're VP of people and culture, or you're VP of product, you get a message from those people or someone who your direct manager is, instinct is to, I need to answer this. It starts with the behavior and creating that cadence and then walking the walk and talking the talk. So if I'm answering them at nine o'clock at night, my time, that's telling them that I expect that even though I don't. 
So it's just keeping in mind your audience, the time, and keeping yourself organized, yes, but trying to use those tricks of the tools that won't then put our need to be organized, not turn that into a moment of anxiety for the person potentially receiving it on off hours. Does that make sense? That's great feedback. And I love what you said about it's a learning, right? This is something that's new for everybody. And to be honest, I wasn't giving much thought about sending an email on Sunday. I just thought they're going to read it on Monday. And you think, well, I don't want to be creating anxiety for my team. I mean, and a simple fix was there's a recurring task that says Monday morning reminds me to send those out. No big deal, right? An easy fix, but it's something we're learning. Like your firm, Aria Benefits pivoted really quickly. And like you, we leaned into I mean, you're a technology firm anyway, but we leaned into technology and I announced pretty quickly that we were remote first. And we've hired since then and we've continued to develop the team, but it's not like it used to be. I mean, we used to all be in the office. I'm actually in the office today and I saw one of my my other partner, Joe, and it was great. I enjoyed seeing him, but we don't do that. I see my team and I see my partners every day through our daily huddles, but You know, one of the things I'm curious to hear from you about is, have you found it harder to create connections and support those employees? And as an example, you recently spoke on a panel about humanizing the employee experience. How have you approached this with a distributed and remote workforce? Yeah, this one is always tricky. It's interesting because when other PNC or HR leaders reach out to chat about different things, this is that topic. It's that balance. So yes, we want to be remote. Yes, we want to allow sort of virtual And at the same time, though, how do we maintain culture? How do we keep that balance? What we've done is we've removed the assumption that we know what people want. And I know that sounds like a crazy thing to say. Everyone thinks they know what everybody wants. And they look at big companies like Google and other big names that are out there for everyone to see, to see what the next big thing is that is being done. But I don't actually believe that's the way to succeed. And people may kind of go, huh? But personally, I don't think that's how you can account for each person's unique needs. To do that and still run a business, you need to make sure that the things you're determining and the initiatives you're choosing are actually what the people want. Let's be honest, budgets aren't endless and you can't account for every single need of every single person all the time. And now you can't always see them you know, face to face. So how do you know what, what you're going to do is going to add value? We actually go directly to the source to get the feedback. So people talk about surveys. We run surveys, but here's the difference. We meet with every single leader and every single team to unpack the results about what is important to them because we're no longer seeing them face-to-face as often. So many companies will do surveys and there's many out there, but they don't actually action what they've heard. So what we do is we share the results very transparently. Like people see, here are the metrics for each of the categories. And then we take the key themes that emerged as areas where people may not be having the best experience. And because an entire distributed workforce can do this and give this feedback, we're capturing everyone. We're capturing them anonymously so we can get real feedback. And then we're sharing it. So we take those areas where the metrics may not be as favorable. And then we hold calls where employees are invited to join one-on-one on on the call and give feedback as to why they feel those metrics are lower, but here's the glitch, and offer suggestions as to how we can improve them. This also creates buy-in into the initiatives that we're going to roll out. So I know a lot of people use the adage, don't come to me with a problem, come with a solution. 
it's very easy to put your hand up and complain. So what we're doing is we're removing that because then we don't always know how to exactly fix it. We invite our employees to join calls. We talk about these areas openly and we share with them, what is the problem? What are we not doing? What is not meeting the needs of the employee base? What would make this experience better? And we do a deep dive, like radically transparent deep dive. So for the things that are going well, obviously we don't change them. We keep an eye on them. We elevate them where we can, but we do create strategic priorities and action those areas that might not be so great based specifically on the feedback. So HR doesn't sit in a corner. Senior leadership team doesn't sit in a corner and decide they think they know what this is because we don't always know what it actually is. We get it directly from the people and that's how you maintain trust. That's how you get transparency and a continued motivation to participate. Now, the second thing we do with that is there's also a listening tour with myself and our CEO that leverages radical transparency. So we hold a number of calls virtually. We create a safe space with the employees, makes that high trust organization. Because when you acknowledge people's feedback, it's very powerful. When you say, we want to hear what you think and then show you that we listen, There's nothing else more powerful than that. And we align that with our values. We give star awards representing our values. We have elastic awards that are cash awards for those who go above and beyond where the manager has the discretion to give up to a maximum amount with no additional approval needed. And this is global. You don't have to be in a room to do this. and You don't have to be in the same room to acknowledge good work. We also use a tool that's called Bonusly. There's different tools out there, but the one we use is that one. It's used by everyone globally, doesn't matter what country you're in, to send thanks, kudos through a points program, which can be redeemed for the things that the employee values the most versus being given a predetermined gift. So the shout outs are public, they're on Slack, so everyone can see who is being recognized and for what. And people can then take the points that they've earned throughout the year and get something, get a gift card, get an experience that is valuable to them. Now, one size doesn't fit all. We talk about this all the time. Not everyone wants to be on site full time. Not everyone wants to be 100% remote. What matters to employees also varies depending on their personal life choices. So to humanize that experience, we're focusing on that transparency, getting that feedback, actioning what matters to them, because we're all humans and we're all just trying to do a great job. And letting that guide our people and culture priorities and then flexing what we do have to be elastic, which to us just means creating an employee journey and experience that can be modified for each of our humans and options in how you do things like your healthcare spending account, how you can use that amount, flexibility in how you approach your professional development. It's all about an approach that puts people first and tries to meet them where they are versus where we assume them to be. There's so much there. I'm so glad we we had you back on the show because Al and I can just tell we're both taking that because we're growing our firm and adding to our team. I have a feeling we're going to go back and, and watch this episode again and just furiously taking notes. We're like, oh, we got to do that. We got to do that. We got to do that. I love these conversations with people like yourself. And as you know, we won't say any names here, but we know a lot of the same people in the space. Mm-hmm. Really, really great leaders. And I'm very fortunate because of the podcast that I get to talk to these people on a regular basis. And one of the common things I'm seeing, and it's from my perspective, it's an outsider looking in, but these successful firms are prioritizing that employee voice. And you even said, listen, we can't, 
make everyone happy all the time. But how do we take action? How do we make sure we have the pulse on what's going on with the employee group to elevate that experience as you you chatted about at the top of the podcast? I just love hearing that. Now, let's talk a little more about prioritizing that employee experience. Do you feel that prioritizing that experience has made a tangible difference? Are there any learnings or aha moments that you're willing to share with us? Oh, yeah, of course. Prioritizing experience for our employees has worked in such a way that you can actually see the results. Now, that's really hard when it comes to HR or PNC. It's always that area where you're trying to find metrics that are reputable. You're trying to use data. We've created a great employee journey, and this is actually directly tied to the positive culture we have and has become a competitive advantage for us in the market. It's kept our attrition or turnover a little bit below market, which is you know crazy these days. We've kept our engagement levels above market, which makes us really, really proud to be a part of it. We recently became Great Place to Work certified. So in all three of our countries, which is a testament to how we are approaching things, because that certification is based on employee feedback and not a corporate submission. So we're seeing it come through in other ways where it's not just us saying, hey, we're great. Everyone can say, hey, we're great. But are your employees actually saying you're great? And is your focus on that experience making that difference? It's come up in our metrics. So again, people always want to see metrics. We track a number of metrics. Our engagement scores have improved. Turnover has been stabilized. And again, as I said, a little bit below market. Our ENPS scores are really strong. And our talent pipeline is growing. So we're starting to see it in all facets of the employee journey. I mean, do we have turnover? Of course we do. But it is lower than the industry averages. And because our engagement scores are above the industry average, we at least know we're doing something right. We've tried to go that extra step where we can, where other companies usually stop. Now, this is where we get into some of the learnings. Perfect learning. Rolling out on limited vacation. What an experience. You would think that it would be seen as the most massive positive perk anywhere. But in the market, it's become the perk that everyone loves to hate. Why? Because it's been coined as a benefit that looks good on the surface, but doesn't actually achieve what it claims it's trying to achieve, which is balance. So many companies that did implement it found that many people took less time off once they went to Unlimited for a variety of reasons, whether it's now they don't feel they have an actual bank that they're allowed to take from, whether they're afraid to ask for time and, and being seen as not committed. There are many, many reasons why this happens. But what is meant to be a positive approach is actually creating the opposite response and amount of time being taken. So how do you approach that when your intent is positive, but the potential hidden or perceived pitfalls can actually result in the opposite outcome? So we watched what other companies did. You know, a lot of people went first and we were being asked, being asked, and we watched for the learnings as well. So our program is not called Unlimited. It's called Elastic PTO, in common for our name and a lot of our programs. And it tries to address the gaps in general unlimited vacation programs by going a bit further and providing minimums and additional flexibility on what a person needs. So each employee must take a minimum amount annually. So it's not just a free-for-all. The expectation is you are taking time off and you must take X. Above that, that is up to you and what you need based on your family, you know, based on mental health and, and you know, all those different things that we may need time off for. We're trying to break away from those traditional models and we're working to give employees virtual options with our EAP. So again, 
We used to be using the traditional model. We think we're doing a good thing, just like with the unlimited, and it's not working. Why aren't people using this? So we're looking at different options. We're looking at plans that flex to fit what people may need. So instead of having a plan that looks like this, we'd rather have a plan that may be like this, but flexes. So we're looking at partners that actually are trying to solve real world problems like access to practitioners, reducing costs, mental wellness. Again, EAP is looked at as a positive and most people say, do you have one? But if no one's using it, what are you doing with that budget? We're not using that money towards something that's needed or rewarding for the employee. So we've made changes there. We learned, made some changes. For us, I think it's just about ensuring we embrace everyone's uniqueness and create that environment where employees feel that they can bring their whole selves to work and that they'll be supported. We feel we're being really successful because employees are telling us that it's working. And that's the best type of metric you can find, I'd say, especially in the PNC space. We learn so much every time we talk to you, uh, Joanna. I mean, there's just so much. And I know we'll continue the conversation going forward because, again, so much is evolving and, and there's so much to learn. But I know when Al, Al and I are, are taking notes on everything that you're saying, but it's that time in the podcast. And I'm very curious to hear your answer. But we've got Al's signature question, our 100th episode. Yeah, here we go. So Al, take it away. All right. No pressure. So there's a saying that goes, a society grows great. When old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? Wow, what an awesome question. Oh gosh, Al. Okay. This definitely echoes my approach, I think, of try to leave things better than you found them. It's something I strive to in relationships and interactions with people in organizations that I join. One area where I, I feel I've been trying to do this is through mentoring other women, both in HR and as leaders, so that they can become the best version of themselves and then pay that forward. I tell them to be bold, to stand up for what is right and not give up, even if you aren't seeing change right away, because there's a lot of change out there that takes time. For HR leaders, I try to coach them to never forget the human side of what we do and the impact that we have, so that as markets evolve and ways of working change, they don't forget that we're all humans trying to do the best we can and that they'll take that on with their next experiences, that focus around teaching young women that it's okay to be strong, even if that is hard at times because some cannot handle the confidence and boldness, do it anyway. Find your people, find the company that will see the value and the strength that you have and see it as a competitive advantage for them. Because if you wanna create a different future, then we have to be different. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So strive in every opportunity to leave people in places better than you found them so they can pay it forward, like that ripple effect. Early in my career, someone once told me that you're not a great leader until you've developed great leaders. I have thought about that in every single role that I have had and in every single opportunity where I have led a team. We have to start creating the world that we want today even if we don't get to see all of what it can become tomorrow, because we owe that to ourselves and everyone that comes after us. And I think trying to be that mentor and trying to help everyone get there and then hoping you see that pay forward ripple effect will hopefully make some pretty big changes down the road, even if I'm not going to be here to see some of them. Well, I love that. And, and again, no surprise that you came up with a great answer. So really appreciate that. No, thank you. That's a great question. I'm going to have to potentially use that one with my team <laughs> like that. I tell you that I was listening to that answer and I was getting goosebumps. I got to tell you, Joanna, I am just so darn proud 
to call you my friend. We've become colleagues. You're in my network. And I'm just, I'm truly grateful to the podcast because that's how we met. And that's how we started having these conversations. So I'm just truly grateful. Well, thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Elastic Path? Sure thing. You can find me to connect directly through LinkedIn, which is pretty easy. I'm also on the Elastic Path website under the leadership page. So you can reach out to me any number of ways. And I'm, I'm happy to chat with anyone who has any questions or wants to talk about these topics further. Okay, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation as always. I hope you did too. 100 episodes, folks. For a fella that was watching YouTube videos about figuring out how to do this and really had no idea, it's hard to believe and a bit surreal for me to see what's happened with this community. As Joanna knows, it's become a global community and there's there's community growing outside of Val and myself in the podcast. So truly, truly grateful for everyone. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Remember, success leaves clues, my friends. Mm-hmm.